We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. And heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> Hold on. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. It is episode eight of the Ted Lasso Rewatch. Joining me today, fresh off her Make Alex Great Again weekend trip, it is Alex McDaniel. Alex, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I am I'm like halfway to being great again. That's so. that's <laughs> it's better than than not not being halfway to great again. Exactly. I'm I'm so I mean we obviously talked off mic about your trip but how how was your trip tell the listeners how great again are you It was good so um I can't remember if I said this last week but I'm originally from Texas I was born in Fort Worth and raised in Plano um so I spent like 5 days in Dallas and got to see some family I got to see like my childhood best friend um got to see just like a lot of people and do a lot of fun things got to go to a rangers game at the new ballpark in arlington which is wild by the way like i never i can't it's like jerry's world but baseball (laughs) and also literally right next to jerry's world it's right next to jerry's world and then they have the texas live thing which this is just a bunch of outdoor bars right next to the ballpark it's incredible it was just awesome and i got to have a lot of fun and went to like a fun brunch and we had like a magnum of champagne each. And it was just, it was fantastic. It sounds like an absolutely wonderful time. Wonderful time. I still haven't been up to the new, to the new Globe Life Park. I, I was a huge fan of the old outdoor stadium, but like it was a furnace. It was an absolute inferno watching a game in there. So I'm excited to get up at some point. And so we're recording on a different day because you had delayed flights and you're on a lack of sleep and you've had a lot of booze. And so I'm going to tell you, you got to promote your other podcast. So you got to do that on the fly. (laughs) I totally forgot. I'm in this other podcast with a bunch of Texas A&M people. It's called Ain't Slayed Nobody. It's an RPG game, which means we play with dice and stuff. And it's also like a horror movie in a podcast and it's called Ain't Slayed Nobody and you can find us on Ain't Slayed on Twitter and you can subscribe to our podcast anywhere where you get your podcasts. You crushed it. <laughs> that was 
was not crushing it, but I tried really hard. And if you're a baseball fan, I host a podcast called From Phenom to the Farm for Baseball America. It comes at you every other Tuesday. Check that out. And if you're enjoying this podcast, uh, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You guys have been have have left some awesome reviews lately, enough to where I am starting to work on slowly editing that Creed episode, I promise, and I will read out a couple of those reviews maybe next week or the week after. Um, very appreciative of all those reviews. But Alex, let's get into Ted Lasso, let's episode go. eight. The Diamond Dogs. Ted and Roy are both having relationship problems. Ted consults the Diamond Dogs while Roy lays it on the line with Keeley. What an episode this is, Alex. <laughs> I love repeating the same thing every week. I think this episode is so much better than all the others, but it just, it really does. It's like this slow buildup. And yeah, this episode, it's just cram-packed with goodness. That's so, so good. We were texting, uh, I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, about, um, like, it, this one might be better than Make Rebecca Great Again, but it's so hard and it's hard to rank these episodes, and we're never going to do it. We're no. never going to force ourselves to rank these 1 through 10 because it's impossible. Absolutely not. We would never be so silly, but um, I would say just in terms of all they can kind of cram into one episode, this just really does a good job without making it seem overwhelming. Absolutely. Absolutely. But before we get into our opening questions for this one, a couple episodes ago, uh, we were during the the Ted Michelle divorce, we were kind of we were questioning the marriage counselor, uh, kind of debating, would she actually tell Ted to go to England? Is that the kind of space that she was talking about? And neither or you or I. Of it? I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. It's like, would oh, no. she, not so much would she tell, but would, like, if, if they said, okay, we're, Ted's going to go to another continent, would she be like, okay, yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we had questions and neither you or I are a, are a licensed counselor to my knowledge. Uh, I will not yet. I can tell you. I, yeah. I can tell you I'm not. Um, but fortunately, <laughs> User, uh, listener Johnny Dent on Twitter, his wife is a real life counselor, has the degrees and everything. And he was kind enough, she was kind enough to record us a little the from the counselor's point of view of of this Ted and Michelle, you know, space that they were given and what a counselor might think. So here is that clip again from Johnny Dent on Twitter. All right, Alex and Kyle, I am your listener who submitted the thing about the marriage counselor possibly not actually recommending that Ted and his wife be on separate continents. Uh, no, I'm not the British listener, although that would be great if I was. So um, you mentioned hearing from a counselor about it. So I have my lovely wife counselor with me here. Amber, say hello. Hello, Amber. So Amber, um, <laughs> their marriage counselor advises that they separate and they take it so far as to mean different continents. Mm -hmm. uh, given a a couple that is in Ted's situation is there any realistic scenario where a marriage counselor would advise or even be okay with them taking such space that they'd be 4,000 miles away? Okay, so when you text me this question, I had a couple thoughts, and one of them is, like, me as a marriage counselor, what I am doing is counseling the relationship. So I would do everything in my clinical power to nurture and develop that relationship. Now, study tells us that couples normally come to marriage counseling like seven years too late, so maybe that's what happened with Ted and his wife, and it was just like so far gone that that's where they went with it. I'm not in that chair. I can't speak to that counselor's choices. But the other thing that I think is like, 
telling about that is Ted is such an excited person mm-hmm. that we see. Um, I can totally see him interpreting whatever advice or process had gone on in that room to that extreme example. He's going to turn it to 11. Well, yeah, definitely turn those amps to 11. But also, because like one of the things I always get super anxious about is when a client comes back and is like, so I was thinking about what you said, and then I'm like, oh my God, what did I say? What did you hear me say? How did I, how did that live with you beyond that? And so I could totally see this as an example where Ted was living with that in a way that maybe the therapist didn't truly intend for him to. True. But I also feel like if you are going to move to a different continent, that takes a little bit of planning beforehand. And so it would have given the marriage counselor time to say, wait, 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 hold on. That's not what I meant. Well, you're assuming that one, that conversation didn't happen. And two, like happened to that extent. And that played out that way. But two, like, I think sometimes in counseling, you are so sure of what you heard because you filtered that through your experiences that like, why would I need to validate it with them Mm. in a second way? Like, this is the information my counselor gave me and so this is what I'm doing with it. So anyway, I would love for Ted to sit on my couch though. I bet you would. I would love it. For the one liners if nothing else. Yeah, for sure. Okay, um, also the use of their Oklahoma phrase. Is that something as a counselor that you would use? I love that as like a technique to, um, so I'm, I'm big about small, tangible skills. And what is represented in that is a very tangible skill that is a communication skill. So I love that. I love... Um, how that can work as a like nope cut through the shit and let's do this um kind of technique and it's not loaded it reminds me of one that you've used before which is you will tell someone finish the thought oh yeah yeah do do that yeah because like sometimes things are that what is unsaid is just as important if not more important in the forms of communications especially in a couple very good so, you heard it here. I'll take more questions. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> Again, so big thanks to Johnny Dent on Twitter and and Mrs. Dent. Uh, I, I don't actually, I, obviously we didn't just listen to the clip ourselves, and so I don't remember if she gave her, <laughs> her name. I honestly, for her sake and for the sake of anom- uh, being anonymous and uh, like not having random people for Twitter ask her for advice, I hope she didn't give her name in that clip. But a uh, big shout out to Johnny Den on Twitter. Thank you for providing us with that wonderful insight. Uh, always love getting the the counselor's perspective, especially on a show like this, which is so geared towards, you know, getting into the emotions of people and how relationships work. It's it's as fitting a show as any to get a counselor's point of view. Absolutely. And it's very um, pro mental health and very anti stigma. And we, we love that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So for our opening questions for this one, Alex, I will go first because, like we said, okay. you are on sh- you're you're pitching on short rest tonight. It's okay. I've got like three questions. But perfect, perfect. Well, I'll this just one pick is something. Yeah, this one is something you might be you might have some recency bias with Alex. What is your what's your go to hangover cure? Because when we come in on this episode, we got some people struggling, especially poor Nate. Here's what I do. So anytime I know it's going to be a wild night. Now these days I usually I don't I don't want to like give brands promotion on here but let's just go for it because I care about our audience. 
Of course, like the standard is Pedialyte. Always make sure you've got some Pedialyte in the fridge before you go out so you can have it for the next day. I love Pedialyte. I'm not saying it's a bad solution. I have recovered from many a hangover on Pedialyte, but there is a drink called BioLite that I use now. And it's called like, well, the little tagline is IV in a bottle. And it just, it's like, it's like drinking two bottles of Pedialyte in one. Um, so I, that, I always start with that. You got to hydrate, you got to make sure. And I usually end the night with that too. So you got to hydrate, you got to take your Tylenol. But as far as hangover cure, like I, I really love like a good omelet or a good hash, like some type of like a sweet potato hash or just any sort of potato hash, like topped with eggs and some really, really strong coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta have the coffee. I mean, kind of like you said, the hangover cure, it, it starts the night before. Yes. It starts, it starts prepare, 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 um, <laughs> the Advil before bed, hydrating, that sort of thing. Um, for me, it's, it's two variations. There's the, I don't feel like I can keep food down variation. I'm a, I'm a noted morning puker. Oh um, no. Yeah. I just, it, it's gotten worse with age. Um, if I can't, <laughs> it's, it's coffee. And then it's also, a I found of late a Dr. Pepper, like wow. a Dr. Pepper that get a little sugar in me, like that helps. Um, and then if I can get some, get some food in me, it's let, let's go, you know, the benefit of living in Texas, we've got Whataburger. Let's make it happen. That's true. I love a good, what is it? The honey butter chicken biscuit, the honey butter chicken biscuit yes. and a bacon, egg and cheese taquito. And you're living right. Absolutely. When I, one day, um, when I was on my trip, I did like an, so I would work out in the mornings cause I knew I was going to indulge all day. I did two workouts one morning so I could have. Um, a lot of breakfast tacos. <laughs> so I was like, I know I want to try all these different breakfast tacos. So let me just do an extra one to make up for it. And then I don't have to feel guilty. Yeah. I mean, it, especially when you're in Texas, like it's, it's a great, the breakfast taco is, it's kind of made for hanging. It's an easy eat. There's not a whole lot to it. It's got cheese, get some salt in there. Um, it, it does a lot of good things for you. Got the, Absolutely. got the tortilla to soak up that booze. It's just, it's perfect. Yeah. Great cure. Great cure. So <laughs> You said you had a couple opening questions. What is what is your first? I, I jotted some down. I was trying to decide between them to see what I was going to use. But what's the wildest morning after you've ever had? I don't necessarily mean like a one-night stand. If you want to talk about a one-night stand, you can. But as far as like waking up the morning after using air quotes and being like, how did I get here? So like the moment in the hangover when they all wake up and they, they're in that suite and things are on fire and... <laughs> Oh man! Um, oh, I thought that was the beginning of your story. <laughs> like, no, no, no! I recreated I, that, that, that scene. That's kind of that's kind of what I go to. Um, there was a man. Let's get let's give this some thought. The common denominator in all those, like the wildest morning after, is waking up with zero clue. Like lights went off at eleven p.m., but actually went to bed at four a.m. I can give you mine if you want to think. On yeah, those. yeah, I think okay. yeah. Go for years. So it was years ago. I was in college, and my is my friend Tina. She lived in Taylor, which Taylor is a a little town outside of Oxford, Mississippi. Tina but, from Taylor, got it. Tina from Taylor. So it used to be nothing. All that was out there was like this little post office and this wonderful catfish place called Taylor Grocery. If you've ever been to Oxford, you've probably heard about it. But now it's this like very developed thing. It's got all these nice restaurants and stuff. But back in the day, like if you were going out there to meet someone who lived there, you were just driving in the dark. Like it was, you know, it was in the sticks. And so 
she invited me over one Saturday. I came over. I was getting over a guy, which that is never a good thing when you decide to go out drinking when you're getting over somebody. And I got there, and everyone at this little gathering was doing Irish car bombs, and they were keeping tally marks on the board of how many they could do. And, like, I didn't do any, but obviously I drank something. (laughs) Something. All I know, I woke up the next day on a futon in Taylor, Mississippi, just, like, still wearing, because this was the wintertime. I was still wearing like pantyhose, a mini skirt, <laughs> like my sweater. I didn't even change my clothes. And I still have no clue what happened the night before. No clue. I did wake up next to someone. But we're not going to get into that. The fact, all my clothes were on. So we were fine. But like, it was the craziest thing that, because it was the first time I think ever that I couldn't fully remember what I was doing or like how I got in that position. But I'm guessing it probably had some Irish car bomb. Yeah. Sleeping in the clothes is a, a hallmark sign of, of things. Things went awry. Yes. So mine, and it's, I should have thought of this right away because it was something that got brought up recently at, at my wedding celebration. Cause the, the group I was with was there, but I woke up, it was a night out in Reno, Nevada. I was living there for the summer playing baseball and I went to, we went to a casino, just just went out for one night and then went to the bar above a casino. The bar was called Brew Brothers. Same same bar where I saw Jamie Moyer, uh, I mentioned a couple episodes ago. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, lights went out, you know, and then um, I woke up and I was in a familiar place. You know, I was in my buddy's, in, in, at my buddy's house, exactly where I planned on sleeping. And I woke up and there was a parking cone next to the couch <laughs> I was sleeping on. <laughs> And I had apparently swiped a parking cone, evaded some sort of of legal ramifications for that, like was chased, but apparently someone, I don't know, someone talked my way out of it for me. And then, yeah, brought the uh, parking cone home and uh, had some, there were some pictures taken of me, essentially. So I woke up with a strange person too, and that strange person was a parking cone. Well, you know, everyone's got their journey. (laughs) And that was yours. Yeah, I, I kind of like I I get a little like klepto side. At least I used to when I would get um w- when I would black out, and so really? I'm, I'm yeah, I'm really glad I've outgrown that. <laughs> I think. So you would just steal shit. Would yeah, and it was like like, but it was like something meaningless. So like, there's a parking cone on the side of the street. This is my parking cone now. Oh my lord! I don't think I was ever that bad, but who's who's to say? Not my finest moment. <laughs> uh, do you have another opening question? Um, yeah, but it kind of just leads into what we usually go into, which is the best scene, which is, is Ted the best one night stand ever? Literally, that's, that's my first note of just, of (laughs) course, Ted Lasso is a considerate one night stand partner. He gets a coffee, late checkout, tells her she can run up his tab. Like, of course, I mean, let's roll, you know, the, the, for best scene, first scene, the morning after it starts with Nate on the bus, poor sweet Nate hungover, and then... But it's it's all about Ted and Sassy. Good morning. I, I got you a coffee. Oh, thank you. Have you been up long? Um, hour or two. I guess three hours total. Last night was fun. Oh, yeah. Five stars. Certified fresh. Mm, you got to go? Uh, yeah. But, you know, you don't need to rush out or anything. I, I got you a late checkout. Oh, that's very thoughtful of you. Go on then, you go. I'm going to go back to sleep and then 
I'm going to order a huge breakfast on your tab. That's a pro move right there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'll be your underhills anytime. <laughs> okay, well, um, I'll see you around, I guess. <laughs> I know. I love that they pick up right where we leave off. They don't, like, let the day lapse um, where you just... I mean, I think it would have worked fine if they had, but I think it was very smart to show, like, there's been no break in what we saw in the last episode. And I was talking to a friend about this the other day, not so much Ted Lasso, but we were just talking about the nature of one night stands and I'm not going to reveal who it is, but, um, he was saying, I gotta find a really gentle way to say this so it doesn't make him sound terrible, but he was like, yeah, you know, even when you both know it's a one night stand, he, he was saying how he goes the extra mile. He works really hard to make sure that his partner, um, is comfortable and not only, not only sexually, but just like the whole experience. He wants them to be as comfortable as possible and to have a good experience. And I was saying like, that's great. That's awesome. You're the guy with the coffee the next morning. That's great. The problem with that is I have no issue with one night stands, but whenever like a, a person is overly nice, then I, I feel like in the past, especially in my 20s, I would read into that too much and be like, oh, if they're going through all this for me, then it must be something more than a one night stand. And so there's kind of almost a comfort in just being a little neglected. (laughs) Maybe maybe I'm just showing how psychologically unhealthy that actually is. But we, uh, yeah, so we talked about that. And I think, you know, Ted is just a consummate gentleman and he's never done anything like that before. And all he knows is how to make other people feel comfortable and feel happy and feel okay. And it's just, it's it's a very subtle scene, but it's a beautiful one. It also comes off, though, that Sassy is, Sassy is kind of feeling that. Like, she's oh, not, yeah. I don't think she's in her head in that at all. She's really enjoying, because she's gotten a taste, because of that interaction they had in the previous episode at the, uh, with with our dear sweet friend, the Hotel Concierge. Like, she kind of has a, has a got a good glimpse at what kind of person he is. Um, so I think she's really eating it up that how sincere he is and how like he's kind of uncomfortable for Ted standards, but, but not really like it's a, it's a really good little moment between them. Yeah. And I think like too, he feels guilty, you know, he's got this feeling about him. He's like, I've never done this before. And he feels you can tell he's just very tense and I love her because she's just so relaxed. She's like, well, I'm going to go back to sleep and then I'm going to put a huge breakfast on your tab. So yeah, Sassy's fine. Like she's, she's doing well, but you can tell he is, he's not bothered by her, but he's bothered with himself because it's so new and so different for him. And remember, he just signed his divorce papers the night before. So. I mean, he literally signed the divorce papers and then the gods had Sassy show up at his door. So and plus, Sassy had been planning that one night stand like she had been hunting Ted ever since she saw him at the desk. Uh, now, you know, Ted, Ted is having to come to grips with that. Um, we can't forget with that morning after scene. There's also Roy just hurting the hell out of Keeley's feelings. <sighs> I'm just so frustrated with Roy in this episode, honestly. Like, how stupid can you be? Just how inconsiderate can you be (laughs) and like I love Roy as a character I just think it's so relatable because it doesn't matter like we've all had partners who don't realize like hey I'm trying to show you I'm really into you and you are giving me nothing in return which makes me automatically think that you're not into me as well so I'm gonna react to you the way that you're acting toward me but yeah so Keely has the great transition she goes in while he's getting the massage like hey 
I'm hungover. Let's get coffee. And he's like, oh, I'm busy today. And I realized he was actually busy. He had stuff to do. But come on, man. You just had this fiery, passionate kiss with her the night before. And then you abruptly walk away. And now you're like, no, I'm busy with no explanation. What is she supposed to think? I feel like I'm the last person in the world who should criticize a man for not being good with women and not like saying (laughs) the right thing. But Roy is almost, it's almost unbelievably bad that he could be this unaware of, of Keely's feelings, especially coming off like Roy's not the most in tune with feelings guy, but coming off that night before, like you said, and then she shows right up and wants to go do something with her. Like, you gotta come up with something else. I think, too, like, we've seen so many examples of Roy being so compassionate all season. Like, he notices when a teammate is being hurt or treated badly. He notices when Jamie is being an asshole. He's the one who's there to, like, pick the guy up or be there. It's just, I don't want to say it's out of character because I didn't create the character. Who am I to say that? But it's weird how standoffish she is toward Keely. Even if he does sort of explain it later, like you can't blame Keely for completely thinking like, okay, well this guy clearly has no interest in me and I'm going to live my life. Yeah. It's, you feel really bad for Keely when that happens. The next scene, uh, the guy's talking about the morning after with the diamond dogs, just a wonderful band getting together scene. Higgins <laughs> is in there and Nate's in there and B is in there. It's Ted still working through with the divorce. Uh, you've got, you've got the guys coming, coming together on a, you know, a cut the slack joke, which is wonderful. <laughs> I um, I just, I mean, th- this is a culmination of Ted having, you know, working this crew together. It's it's so good when they all come together. Oh, yeah. What I really love about this scene, well, I love a million things about it, but I love that Higgins is, like, dressed like he's straight from 1993. He has on, like, a graphic tee with an unbuttoned button down over it. <laughs> like, it's just, he's just Mr. Casual. Like, yeah, man, I'm just blah, 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 and I'm here. And it's just, it's so fun. And Coach Beard going out of his way to make sure that Ted doesn't feel guilty. And he says to him, like, did you have fun? He's like, what does it matter? Well, did you have fun? And then Higgins, and I love, this might be my favorite line in the episode. Higgins says, you seem intent on going 12 rounds with yourself. Why is that? Or something I'm paraphrasing. But I love that line. You Like, you're so determined to go 12 rounds beating yourself up about this. Why? Why can't you just let it be what it is? And it's a perfect little, uh, like, mesh of the group. And then, of course, Nate, who's still very hungover and vomiting every two seconds. But, um, yeah, it's so sweet. It's just sweet to see them all come together and support each other and support Ted during a time when he's still coming off of a panic attack and then a one-night stand. And this is all just very out of sorts for him. Not something I've ever done. Okay? And, and look, hey, I got no judgment on people that have one-night stands, okay? I mean, if you are, you know, nuts for butts, have at it. That's what I say. Coach, did you have fun? Come on, Coach, I don't like all that kiss and tail stuff. Coach, did you have fun? And did she have fun? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that movie's making me feel breezy. Okay, so then what's the problem? I mean, maybe I just haven't really come to peace with the fact that I went from having a mental breakdown at a karaoke joint in Liverpool to, uh, you know, sleeping with a woman I just met. And then somewhere in between there, getting a divorce. That makes sense to me. I must say, this is lovely. He's spent the last couple episodes like that, trying to get his bearings in his new life. And this is 
this is a really great thing of his friends just coming together and being like, what you did is normal. This is okay. Enjoy yourself. Like you are not, not free. That's, that's the, not the right word, but like you are, you know, you have this new reality. You can live it. You can enjoy, you can be yourself. Yes. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's great. And it's, it's, you know, it's not the last we get of this group. Um, next up is when Keely and Roy finally put their, their feelings on the table. Um, which is, it's, it's great to see them finally come clean to each other about how they feel, especially Roy, like, you know, in, in him talking about, you know, like he's had a million one night stands, but he, you know, he wants to make this work. And he said, thing about his one night stands, it always ends with his watch being stolen or a story yes. in the paper about his dick having a curve in it and then going <laughs> to think about his hips. But, but then, you know, Keely lets him know that, that she slept with Jamie the night before and Roy just growls, which is very, very funny. Yeah, so even going back to that scene where Keely's at home, she even looks at her phone and says, come on, Roy. And this is at night, the same day that she asked him to have coffee. She's looking for any sign that Roy is reciprocating her feelings. And he's not. He's not making any effort, even in between his busy appointments. I don't care if he was doing yoga with a bunch of older women. Like, it doesn't matter. You can at least send a text and just say, hey, I'm sorry we couldn't get together today. Let's do it tomorrow. And so... Yeah, Jamie comes over, and Jamie is comfortable to her, even though he's terrible and we hate him, and she sleeps with him, and I don't blame her, because, like, why shouldn't she? She has no, I mean, she's free to do what she wants anyway, but there's no sign from Roy that he even wants to pursue something with her, and so the next day, when Roy, like, bears himself, and obviously he puts himself in a very vulnerable position, so he's easily attacked if if somebody wanted to attack him. And she's instantly honest, which I commend, you know, like I remember watching it the first time and thinking like, I probably wouldn't have said that. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have told a guy like, uh, well, I slept with someone the night before, mainly because it's none of his business. If you haven't made an attempt to try to be with me, if you haven't made an attempt to try to spend time with me, then I don't owe you any explanation for that. But the diamond dogs feel the same way. Exactly. And that's, I love that about this. And so she says it, Roy does his grunting, here's what I like about it. He doesn't get mad at her. The grunting is almost him saying like he knows he can't complain about it because he's the one who waited around and didn't do anything about it. And now he's only got to be mad at himself, even if it takes him going back to the Diamond Dogs <laughs> to realize that. My wife and I were watching the scene and we were just saying like conversations like that in relationships would just change the game, especially early on, just actually coming clean about how you feel about a person and what you're thinking. Like, it's there's it's like the the what the what women want thing like you would just love to know what the person that you are that you have feelings for is thinking exactly in that moment you don't want to know forever because then things would get boring but Absolutely. when especially when things are kind of on the edge and you're not it's like a will we won't we thing you you want that straight up blunt honesty and it's why they're you know, spoiler alerts, why they're working well now is that they they put all their cards on the table and it, it ends up being the mesh, but they had to dance around that for, I don't know, four plus episodes because they were both just like tiptoeing around the, the loudest secret in the room. It's so silly. And like, we all do it. So this isn't me criticizing anybody because God knows we all do it. But whenever you think about this standard routine of dating, of talking to someone and you're texting a lot and you go on the dates and then you blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, do we label it? Do we not? 
it's all so dumb. And you can be in a relationship with somebody without labeling it as a relationship. Let me just get that out there right now. I don't care what you've labeled it. The relationship is whatever both of you have made it. So if you're spending a lot of time with somebody and you're not spending time with anybody else, you're in a serious relationship. Okay? So that's just, (laughs) we need to get that out of the way. I don't care if you've had the conversation about, oh, are we officially together or whatever. That's just what you want to call it to make you feel better. And that's fine. I'm not blaming anybody for that. We all do that. But at the end of the day, like, it's all obvious. You're doing what you both want to do. It's just, are you going to say it out loud? What is wrong with you? What? I asked you if you want to go get coffee with me yesterday and you said you were busy. I was busy. You never texted me back last night? Yeah, I was busy. What about the kiss? You took off like it was a shit kiss and it was not a shit kiss. I was on fire. I agree. So what is your fucking problem, Roy? Listen, I'm a professional footballer. I have had a million one-night stands. So have I. Great, I don't know why we're bragging about it. Neither do I. And I always feel empty. Well, not the first part. Of... No, at first they're wicked. <laughs> they're fucking great, but when it's all done, I feel like... Like shit. Exactly. And I always end up with my watch being stolen or a story in the press about how my penis has a curve in it. Does it actually? No, I just make it feel like it does with my hips. Anyway, the point is, I'm trying to do this differently. I should have told you that. I apologise. And I am trying to be more honest. And it's refreshing from our point of view to see them say it out loud because we've been waiting for the, we've been waiting for this shit for for an over two hours at this point in Showtime. I know, which compared to other shows that made us wait, like The Office, or I can't think of anything. I guess Parks and Rec, sort of with um, Leslie ben and, and Leslie, ben. yeah, where they wait multiple seasons. I guess we were lucky that <laughs> we got our answer a little early. But again, that's certainly more realistic than waiting around for years. But again, I shouldn't judge. And I've certainly been in situations where it's taken years for me to actually fess up to someone how I feel about them. But yeah, so you get this satisfaction. Then suddenly he's mad. He goes back into the Diamond Dogs. He goes into Lasso's office. And he you can tell he goes in there thinking he's going to get some like support, like, oh, she slept with Jamie, and I know you hate Jamie. Oh, man, I'm so sorry for you. Because you think, like, from my perspective as a woman, when you think about a guy going to a group of guys, you think they're going to naturally want to support him. And what I love about this is they all naturally went into defending her and being like, oh, no. So the girl that you made no attempt to show that you care about slept with someone else. And I love Beard's line, which is grow up and get over it. You said this in the first episode about this show being a feminist triumph, and this is might be the peak of that. I know. I'm telling you, like it's so refreshing to see a group of men, even if it's just on TV. Even though I know a lot of men who are like this, showing him what an idiot he's being, and showing him like you can be mad about it all you want, but you're not officially dating her. You guys, you haven't made any attempt to try to be around her for longer than like a steamy kiss in the hall. You can hate Jamie all you want, but you don't have the right to be mad at her about it. Yes, I am into her, but we all know who her ex-boyfriend is, the prince prick of all pricks. And I got him stuck right in here. I don't understand the problem. I mean, Keely's just so kind, you know, to be liked by someone like her must be wonderful. Mm, shout out to the Gershwin bros right there. Fuck yeah, the Gershwins. But dang it, fellas, still not getting it. Thank you. Sure, Roy here has slept with a bunch of different people in his past. Keely's got her own romantic and sexual history that predates Roy. And that's not okay! Oh, he means the opposite. I love it when Coach does sarcasm. 
I can't control my feelings. Well, then by all means, you should let them control you. Ah, he's doing it again. It's great. It's great. And the the thing is, it's this fun, kind of tough love scene, but there's also a lot of jokes. Uh, You get Roy, does does my face look like it's in the mood for shape-based jokes? (laughs) (laughs) And then I love this line, too, is don't let her past muck around y'all's future. Yep. Yep, yep, yep is great and his past because i mean he brings that up i mean they're both so he's had like a thousand one night stands yeah and that he didn't want to turn her into one which is great and very sweet but yeah he needed to grow up and get over it so one little thing that i loved about this scene mainly because i'm a musical theater nerd is when and i can't remember the line exactly but (laughs) nate (laughs) looks at roy at one point and he's like Oh, that must be that must be so wonderful to have somebody who feels that way about you like Keely does. And Lasso, ah, I should have written this down, but he says something like, you know, I love that Gershwin reference or something to that extent. And there's a, you know, like a Gershwin tune called Swonderful. Like, it's wonderful. And again, it's one of those, it's like the Gay Talese line. It's just one of those very subtle things that if you don't know what they're talking about, it won't make sense to you, but they're not going to over-explain it. And there's the payoff if you do know what they're talking about. Just super culture. Ted is the same thing in the scene with Sassy. He makes a Fletch reference. Yes. The what was it? The Underhills. The Underhills. Yes. Put it on yes. the under. Uh, put it on the Underhills tab. Yep. And but it, it's it's great. I I've said multiple times during this like during this rewatch about I could watch this like I could watch Roy be an uncle for an entire season or ever. I could watch the Diamond Dogs just help guys out with their relationship problems <laughs> for an entire season. Well, I love how at one point Roy is like, I can't control my emotions as if that's like the end all be all of his argument. And Ted says, well, by all means, let them control you. (laughs) I thought that was so good because it's so human. And how many of us, we're in those situations every day where it's, you know, it's a lot of times it's not as easy as, oh, let me not let my emotions control me because if they get in the way, they get in the way. But um, I think making fun of him a little bit and ribbing him the absolute best way to sell this scene. Because if at any point in this conversation they had put that off on Keely, I would have been turned off. If they if they had acted like that at any point in the series, I I would have been like, yeah, it's a it's an okay show, it's fine. But it's you know blaming the woman for something you're mad about is just such typical bullshit. <laughs> so I'm really glad they dodged that. Yeah, really honest look at it because that I mean. To get like deep into it, that's a very authentic thing. Guys will let that, you know, let that perception, they will talk themselves out of a relationship or out of talking to a girl because of that. And it's a really hypocritical point of view. And it's, you know, and it's it's something that this show tackled and handled really, really well. Yes. Not and- surprising at all that they did, but <laughs> it's just another like put another one on the board. Um, something else they handled really, really well. Where do we even start with the the bar scene? The dart scene. So, yeah. So, first of all, toward the beginning, so you have, obviously, you have the two acts going here, the two storylines. Um, so, Rebecca has to go talk to the Milk Sisters, who own 2.9% of the club. And Sudeikis is just on a fucking heater <laughs> about the I Milk sw- Sisters. I swear he ad-libs some of that. But he just loves that their last name is Milk. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to round that down and call them the 2% Milk and so they agree to go meet these sisters at a bar so they can just kind of keep them happy because they are partial owners in the club and they get there and who's there but Rupert and 
um, just regular Rebecca because remember she's not new Rebecca. She's just the new she's the new one, but she's not called the new one. So Rupert and his main squeeze are there, and they're leaving. And Rebecca and Ted see them, and we soon find out that Rupert has swindled his way into buying their shares so he can be a part owner in the club again. Rupert is the slimiest, scummiest human on the planet. We've talked about we've had two two I guess villains in this show, in this season. There's Jamie, who, especially the last couple episodes, Jamie is young, he is misguided, and he is officially redeemable, I would say. Sure. Um, with he the, still with, sucks, but like, oh, still, why. still definitely sucks. Listen, redeemable does not mean want to hang out with him. Completely, completely different things. But he's, I mean, he sucks, but with his, his speech about his, you know, burning his boots in the when the you know they get rid of the curse, and then his conversation with Keeley for Jamie's standards uh, when he comes over to her house, very mature for Jamie's standards. Yes, um, Rupert is irredeemable, and much like many old people, very set in his ways, not changing. Um, he is, and this scene at the bar and with the dark game is when he starts getting truly callous. He's been holding it under the surface all season. You know, when we've seen him, you know, especially the fundraiser trying to be charming, trying to act like, you know, he, he's the just the fucking coolest guy on the planet. But he he's feeling confident in the dart game. And now that he's got some shares in the team back and he's playing Ted and darts and he's he's starting to let that evil bubble to the surface. It is a he is just the worst when you watch him <laughs> on screen. He like makes your skin crawl. Shall I be giving you the lineup card now, Ted? I shall be putting your Bassania back on defence where he belongs. That's exactly what I said, didn't I? No, no, it's not all Ted's fault. My ex-wife's the one who brought the hillbilly to our shores. I know she's always been a bit randy, but I never thought she would fuck over an entire team. Hey! Better manners when I'm holding a dart. Please. And... You know, Tony Head, who plays him, is just so good at being so terrible. But what gets me, and I think this riled me up the first time I watched it, is he calls Ted a hillbilly and makes a comment about Rebecca hiring this hillbilly. And I'm very sensitive toward, like, redneck hillbilly. Anything that demeans people who are either from the South or just from some area that isn't a big city or isn't, like, a big East Coast city especially. And so... uh, I remember watching that. Oh, I don't know if you heard the thunder outside my house. That was ominous. Um, it was. They heard you talking about Rupert. <laughs> I know. It was like Rupert and then thunder. Um, so, you know, I was already a little mad going into it because I was like, how dare you? Like, just because he's from a, a different place and just because his values are so pure, you're trying to bring him down. And I think the first time I watched it, I was like, yeah, Ted's going to take the high road and he's going to leave and he's not going to try to like go head-to-head with this guy because it's unlike Ted to go head-to-head with anybody. He'd much rather, at least what we think at this point, he would much rather just, like, leave him with a something to think about. But I think he realizes in this scene, like, Rupert's not the guy that's going to, you know, sit and think about something he said later, so he's just going to tackle him one-on-one. Rupert's not going to take a message to heart. Yeah, and and Rupert just thinks he's a bumpkin who can't play darts. And this is—it's one of the most beautiful scenes, if not the most beautiful scene in the entire series. The Ted's like, I forgot I'm left-handed darts moment. Uh. That's one of my favorite movie or TV tropes. They do the same thing in in Band of Brothers, and then there's also like it gets used in other things, especially like someone like 
speaks a language that you didn't realize like they're talking someone's talking shit about someone it turns out that person speaks that language or like it's it's that surprise look at the skill i actually have trope that i am a huge fan of when ted says i forgot i'm left-handed it um obviously i'm sold but it it then it goes into the sedaka the the be curious not judgmental monologue which we were texting before we started if that wasn't the emmy or golden globe scene they showed it should have been it is it's an incredible Ted moment. Watching Rupert get his ass handed to him, both on the dartboard and verbally, <laughs> is beautiful. Well, I think, you know, up to this point, we see Ted as a person that no matter where he came from and no matter, you know, who he is, that he's very secure in himself. And we don't get a lot of backstory out of him. You know, the most backstory we get is his family, his wife. And for him to suddenly delve into his own acknowledgement that, like, yeah, I'm very well aware that people my entire life have underestimated me. They always thought I was too this or too that. And that's what he's saying in this scene is, you know, if they had been curious, they would have asked questions about me. They would have asked me, why do I have such an optimistic view on life? Why am I the way I am? But instead they chose to judge it and they didn't bother to learn anything about me. And then he immediately proves like that was to their detriment (laughs) because he tells Rupert, he's like, you know, questions like, do you play a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> he says, I used to play him every Sunday with my father before he died when I was 16. And he just it's just such a beautiful thing because it shows that Ted is not clueless to how people perceive him. He's not clueless to the fact that he he's overly optimistic and he knows that. And he's acknowledged that when having conversations about his wife, how she said, you know, your optimistic view is just too much for me. And this really shows like he's completely aware of how he's perceived. But that if people would just stop for a minute and maybe ask a few questions as to why or even try to find out about him, they might learn something more than just judging him for who they think he is. And it's a lesson in the in vanity and pride. Yeah. Rufer had such a low opinion of Ted, knowing really nothing about him besides that surface level stuff. And he gets his ass handed to him because he's a dumb piece of shit. Fuck you, Rupert. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact that he initially um, wagers like 10,000 pounds and then... Ted says, how about this? Instead, um, if I win, you're not allowed in the owner's box at all, as long as Rebecca is the owner. Um, You know, so the fact that Rupert's like 10,000 pounds, whatever. I mean, he just instantly thinks he can walk all over this guy. And he does. He calls him a hillbilly. Like, he thinks he's a bumpkin. He thinks that he's stupid and he can't do anything. And then he learns a really valuable lesson. And you shouldn't underestimate people. And you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. And those lessons are things that we learn when we're like four or five years old, right? But they still apply when we're adults. And I think we we tend to forget that sometimes because we get so caught up in the snark and the sarcasm every day. After that happened, did you think that Rebecca was going to be done with her kind of sabotage plan? Well, you can tell, you can see the looks on her face as he's, as Ted is going through his monologue of people underestimating him, people who didn't bother to find out about him. You can tell she's very conflicted. She's bothered by what she's done. She's been that way for the past few episodes. You can tell it's weighing on her. You can also tell like she hasn't come up with a solution to that and that her hatred for Rupert has not yet outgrown her love for Ted. Like she clearly has affection for him. She in terms of, you know, as a coach, she clearly considers him a friend or at least an acquaintance at this point. But what we've said this entire throughout this entire podcast is her hatred for Rupert and her like desire for revenge has always outweighed 
what she thought was right. Even though like she had good intentions, they just didn't weigh enough compared to that. Yeah, it makes sense because even despite the good deed that Ted did in this bar, making an ass out of Rupert, everything Rupert did before that. I mean, he's needling Rebecca about how she's handling the team. He's being extremely callous about it. She's watching these people just appreciate the shit out of him, despite him being just a horrible human. So I, I if you, you know, you rank those, it, the hatred for Rupert is still definitely over the, um, you know, her, her appreciation for Ted and especially what he did there. And we find out later in the episode, you know, she's not done uh, tanking things, at least at that moment. The other two, Basically, the, the the final two scenes or the final two moments of this episode to uh, really to go over is the Roy and Keeley, the Roy's quote unquote press conference, which is really truly the Keeley show, um, the the Juno Temple show. Keeley Jones, the independent woman. I'm done being mad about Jamie. I'm a grown man. I'm not a baby child. I'm over it. Right. Would you mind saying that to the rest of the room? I mean, the press deserves to know. Mr. Kent? Yeah? Hi, Keely Jones, the independent woman. Would you please repeat what you just said? I'm over it. Can't take you out tonight. Please. Uh, yeah, you. Kaylee Jones, the Independent Woman Online Edition. The Independent Woman and the Independent Woman Online Edition and the Independent Woman Magazine and the Independent Woman Sunday Insert, which I think is so clever. As a journalism person, I thought that was really smart. We've been waiting on this moment forever. Them finally, like, making this deal. It's like, it's like... Ben and Leslie getting together. It's like it's like the proposals of Ben and Leslie and uh, and Pam and Jim from The Office. Yeah, and what I really love about Roy in this scene, he is not magically cured of his hatred for Jamie. He's not magically cured of his jealousy toward the fact that they had just slept together the night before. What he says, though, is I like you more than I hate him. And I think so many of us forget so many times when we are conflicted about something in life we, we tend to look at things as all or nothing. If you don't feel 100% great about this, then you can't pursue it. And this is not true. A lot of times you just have to decide, like, do you want this more than you want that thing? Are you going to sit and stew about this thing and just wallow in it? Or is there something else you want a little more than that that's going to push you beyond? And I think it's a very realistic way of looking at things because it's not realistic for him to say, you know what? I don't care about Jamie. Well, of course he does. That's a human thing. And he's still, like, he likes Keely, and we know that now. He's undoubtedly still thinking about them still sleeping together, you know? But he's decided, you know, I want to be with you more than I want to hate him uh, over this. And I just, I love that. I think mm. he comes back and it's like, okay, Roy, we can forgive you now. And we get to see their first date again, something we've been waiting on forever. And we hear what Roy did when he was busy. And Alex, something that I love, I love movies about a single night. I love like movies and, you know, in a chronological time span, I would a hundred percent watch a movie. Roy's, Roy's day that day doing yoga with a group of women, ending up at a club <laughs> called G-A-Y until 2am, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds a lot like the weekend I just had in Dallas, but exactly. Yeah. Roy, Roy had to make Roy great again and it like helping out Maureen with her divorce. Like I would, I 
love that moment where he confesses that he's been doing yoga with this group of divorcees who don't know who he is. It's just wonderful. Are you dating other people? It's okay if you are, it's just that I want to know so that I don't look stupid. It was yoga, okay? I do yoga with a group of women in their 60s. They've no idea who I am. It's twice a week and it's really good for my core. Normally only takes an hour, but Maureen's just been going for a divorce and she needed to talk about it and blow off some steam. We all ended up at GAY till 2 a.m. and then we had crepes in Balham's with some drag queens. Like I said, it's private. I'm gonna kiss you now. Yeah, like, I, you know, it's like I said, I don't think Roy, obviously he's not malicious, and I think this is the case for most people and most, at least in my experience, most guys who are inconsiderate. They're not trying to be hurtful. Like, he was devoting all of his energy to something else, but he wasn't thinking about how that would make Keely feel. And so I'm glad he finally understood that. Dope. Yeah, yeah, but (laughs) I, the... The line, like I had somehow forgotten about it. Like that's what he was. I, I forgot about this line on the rewatch of him explaining that he does the yoga, and it just. I mean, again, I I need a show about Roy doing yoga. I would be all in. Yeah, the only thing about Roy or just like them in this episode that bugged me, and I know we normally like go down a list of things, but we're just gonna jump ahead to what didn't work. So, like, <laughs> at least I am. When they're when they're on their first date. And she's straight up asking him, like, are you seeing other people? And he's explaining what you just said, that he was doing the yoga and he was going to the clubs. And then, you know, the paparazzi photographer is taking photos of them and he gets instantly mad. And it's the same guy who took photos of Keely and Ted when she was at that modeling shoot. Here's what bothers me about this. And again, it's just a dumb media thing. It's not anything significant. But he goes over... And he appears to pull a memory card out of the guy's pocket. Like, he has not done enough in that little interaction to actually open the memory card holder in his camera and take that out. That takes, that's not as easy as just, oh, I'm going to pull this out. So it looks like he's just pulled it out of the guy's pocket. And then he says to Keely, here's photos of your first date or whatever. And it's like, that's not possible. (laughs) You couldn't have done that. Very possible, however, that he has photos of the photo shoot with Keely and Ted. And that made sense. It just, I hated that line. Cause I was like, it would have, it would have been fine to just take the memory card and just go on. Like you could have just taken it out of his pocket knowing you didn't get the one that all of your photos are on. But again, that's just me being myself. Listen, I, I know you just got a new full-time gig. Alex is going to be the managing editor <laughs> for the win, but it sounds like what Ted Lasso needs is like a media consultant. Seriously. Just of, <laughs> I, I, I think I think that's your future. That's, you know, I mean, I've been trying a lot on Twitter to get them to notice me, but they don't notice me. So it's fine. But yeah, but this memory card ends up being like the big part of the episode because the last scene we have Rebecca in her office again being mean to Higgins and he's telling her, you know, we have 10,000 tickets that haven't been sold for the final match of the season. This is the one that determines whether they're going to be relegated. And she's so pleased by it. And she's like, great, that'll make Rupert really mad. Because she was still running on that high of, like, Ted really showed Rupert yesterday with those darts. And and Higgins is like, F off. I quit. <laughs> like, I'm tired of you. Like, this club is important to people, and you need to care more about it. And he leaves, and she's still kind of on her Rebecca high horse. And then Keely walks in with the photos on her phone, and she knows because they looked at the memory card, which I still don't, I still don't even know that. Like, how do you make that connection? 
to seeing those photos and being like, I knew I knew Rebecca arranged it. She was, well, she he said, said the they tracked down the photographer and asked. Yeah, so even that's weird to me though, because again, they didn't know the guy. They just took the memory card. How there's a lot of stuff that had to happen behind the scenes. Is all I'm saying. But again, after that, after that date, as someone who's been on dates, Alex, if the I guy, <laughs> if the guy you're on your first date with, if he takes a memory card from a photographer and then walks over, grabs your hand, and says, "Come on, I'm cooking for you," I'm marrying him. Marrying him? You're not. You're not at all worried about Roy Kent, perma bachelor, uh-uh. cooking for you. No, but that. We would be done at that point. Like, that's all I need to know. You know, we don't have to get married right away, but let me just say that's going to happen. So let's go ahead and get ready for it. Let's just go ahead. We'll go ahead and elope. Alex, I don't think we need to dive in really to like what the best, pick a best scene. I think it's pretty obvious what the best scene in this one is. Absolutely. It's darts. I mean, that's the main one everybody always talks about. I tweeted about it before this because I am running very low on sleep. <laughs> I haven't rested enough. And I'm like, I'm supposed to talk about this scene that makes me emotional. Um, and yeah, so it was. it is an incredible scene. And I think it's a very relatable scene. I think even people who are kind of jerks, they can relate to a time in their life where they were underestimated, right? We can all relate to that, whether it was when we were kids or even as adults, whether it came to jobs or relationships or whatever. But this whole idea, you know, I just, it's very important to me to say, like, before this episode, you could make an easy argument that Ted doesn't even realize how he is as a person or how he comes off, how he's perceived. You could say that he doesn't realize he's so optimistic or he's so quippy or he's just so this or so that. This is the episode that confirms he knows exactly who he is. And he lives that. He owns that. And he's decided that he likes being that way more than he likes pleasing people. And I think that's the most important part of that scene is him admitting like, yeah, I know. I know that I'm different. I know people aren't as peppy as me. I know they're not as this or as that. And I I just really, I think that's so beautiful. I think it's a really beautiful scene. And when all else fails, there's no better trope in movies or TV than watching a bully get what's coming to him. Yes. And that's the important thing is... They were able to do that without violence. And you have to remember, too, I don't think I mentioned this, Rupert, again, his determination to hurt Rebecca, which they both, they're both the same person at this point. They're both trying to hurt each other. He had just gotten engaged to the new Rebecca, and that's why they were drinking champagne. That's why, you know, he's like, oh, get extra glasses for Ted and Rebecca. I mean, he's really trying to rub it in her face that, you know, you're the one who left, even though I was cheating on you, like whatever she left because she was tired of it. So again, this is my life now is that I'm going to just rub everything in your face because I can. It's, it's wonderful to see. We love a bully getting their comeuppance. Let's take a quick ad break because I forgot to put one in last week and get back with funniest one liner. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so funniest one-liner or under-the-radar joke. It's an episode with some great ones. Um, something that that sticks out, a character that we haven't really talked about at all, uh, who, but it has had... Not back to back, but the episode the uh, when they're breaking the curse, the same player who tosses his keys in the car, his Lamborghini keys, uh, says, "I'd fuck a pair of Air Jordans in this episode," which is fantastic. <laughs> I do love that line, and it's funny because at the beginning of the episode, you see him get in his Lamborghini when they get back from Liverpool. Like he he's the prominent car that's seen outside the clubhouse, and he gets <laughs> and leaves. And mind you, in the last episode. Was it the last episode or the one before where he had tossed his keys into the curse can or whatever? The one, the one before, because they do okay. the, they break the curse and then they go to yes, Liverpool. Yes, that's right. And I just, I love that guy. I just love how he's so, <laughs> you don't even pay attention to him until he has something to say. And then, and I should know their names. Like, I really should know the supporting characters' names. But the guy, you know, Keely's just trying to say, and she's absolutely right. She's like, I find that endorsements work best when you really believe in the product. So let me know more about what you guys are into. I love how the whole line is like, they all love Air Jordans. But the one guy is like, I like Rolos. <laughs> she said, just so, Rolos. I know. <laughs> she's like, so sweets and chocolate then? No, just Rolos. And don't give me any of that Sour Patch bullshit either. <laughs> it's so good. It's just, I think that's my favorite one. He has a point though. Rolos are an excellent candy. I don't know if I've had them before. I mean, you can imagine them. Milk chocolate and caramel. Yeah. So are they hard? Are they really chewy? Because I think that might be Yeah, they're chewy. I don't don't like a chewy chocolate candy. I like like gummies. So I like, you know, Sour Patch Kids and gummy worms and stuff like that. I don't like a chewy chocolate. I want it to be easy to consume. That is fair. That is... That is fair. <laughs> One a of good the point to raise on the podcast. Are you guys into chewy chocolates? Let us know on Twitter. <laughs> well, we'll we'll run a poll: chewy chocolates or hard chocolates. <laughs> we need we need to know. We have it we has do. to be fine. It has to be finally decided. Um, another one of my favorite jokes in this one is it's in the Diamond Dog scene when Roy comes in. Um, <laughs> when. Um, when Ted says the thing about you just realize your dad might be a little racist and Roy says he's in his sixties and he's from South London. Of course my dad's a little racist. (laughs) It's so terrible. Um, but it's, it's a very like blunt, honest look at, I think culture there. I'm not going to say much more about that. Yeah. Again, that we'll, we'll let the, we are two British listeners. We're going to let them (laughs) let us know. What is, you know, what is South London like? What's South London? Why are they concerned? Listen, Al- but, Alex and I both live in the South. We've both seen some areas that... We know what the South is like. Yeah, yeah. So if South London is like our South, then we we need go no, need go no further. Um, I, I also, everything Ted says about the Milk Sisters, just his milk oh, puns God. are just... I. That's another thing we... Was it last week we were talking about... 
um, wishing that we had like the credit scenes of the yeah the hotel concierge just saying random jokes. I would love to know how many milk puns they had written up. That's the thing, or how many outtakes there were. Like, I really hope. Again, I'm just gonna say this out loud. I really hope they give us some outtake sort of situation on YouTube or Apple TV or something because not even just out not bloopers but truly like deleted scenes or just multiple takes at a joke or when they tried to punch up a joke you know I would just really love to watch that process but yeah I was in a um I was in a half price books this past weekend uh, one of just the best stores on the planet and half price books has you know DVDs and then they have TV seasons they had a ton of TV seasons we were talking about either last week or the week before yeah and all I could think about was getting my hands on the on the actual physical copy of the Ted Lasso season with all that bonus content. I'm telling you, like I would buy this on on DVD, and I don't own any DVDs anymore or Blu-ray or whatever, whatever the top like physical technology is to store your movies on. <laughs> I would definitely do it. It's uh, I they've got to have so much incredible footage, and the thing is. You would think with season two now, with they they know how big it's going to be and how how much people are anticipating it. You've got to think that they're probably they probably kept that in mind in the filming. And this might just be a wishful thinking kind of thing. They might actually you know have done this done it just the same as they did season one. But like, let's make sure we have all these outtakes and stuff together, and it's stuff that we can promote and stuff that we can you know package and use as other as other content. Like, I would hope that there was even more of a um, a conscious idea of anytime we have something that's funny that doesn't make it into the episode, let's make sure we catalog that and put that out for the people because they're going to love it. Yeah. Like, and I don't know. I'm sure there's a reason why they're not. I just know, again, my media content strategy brain, if I'm trying to promote this season as hard as possible and – you know, now that we know it's a show that people, it was sort of a cult classic and a bunch of people discovered it and now it's kind of a mainstream hit. If I am controlling all of that, I'm the one saying we got to get like a blooper reel out. We got to get some deleted scenes. We got to give them something to hold them over because so many people will retweet it and then, or, you know, share it on their social media and then their followers who may not have watched it will watch it and love it. You know, because, I mean, bloopers are so endearing. You don't have to see the show to love the bloopers on any show. They're funny. It's funny to watch people get, like, tickled about something. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the best things about SNL is when someone breaks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And watching that in your favorite shows, yeah, it did. I, I just hope I hope they're keeping track of every single funny blooper and you know funny line that does it because there has to have been at least twice as many funny milk puns that they wrote together. I know, and I can't even imagine how many there were. And what's funny, I didn't even mention this about my Dallas trip at the beginning. So the last night I was there, I got together with my friend Wes, who's on the other podcast that I do, Ain't Slade, um, and we were just gonna watch like one, maybe two episodes of Lasso because he had never seen it, and. When I left there, we had gotten through six. <laughs> so That's I'm literally, still... I was going to guess. I was going to say, did you, I bet you got at least six in. Yeah, I think I left at 1.30 to go back to my hotel. But we, so we had dinner and then I was just going to introduce him to it. Kind of like lead him to water, right? And I told him what I tell everybody, like I've said many times, just watch two episodes. And if you hate it, you hate it and you can leave it alone. I've just never encountered anyone who's done that. Who was like, this is just not for me. I'm sure there are people like that out there. They're just not my friends. Yeah, I was um, I was exchanging DMs 
recently with someone who is a, a new addition to the Blue Wire Network, very notable podcaster who's going to appear on this show later in July. I'll just leave you folks to figure that one out. But we were randomly exchanged, we were randomly exchanging DMs, and I'm making the sound me sound a lot more friendly with this guy than I actually am. But he said something about he actually has not watched Ted Lasso yet, and I did the same thing. Said, give it two. You give it two, you're going to watch the whole thing. And I would say give it one. It's not that one isn't strong enough. I just say like two is enough to get you hooked on it. And that's what happened the other night is my friend, like he trusted me enough and he's, he's a comedian. So he's very funny. Like he trusted Jason Sudeikis enough that it would be entertaining, but we did not plan on sticking around for three hours. <laughs> like I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I just sat there like, yes, I'm just basking in my rightness and my correctness. I love it so much. So shout out to Wes if you're listening. I think it's a safe rule with almost every show. Give it an hour. So yeah. if it's if it's an hour long drama or something like that, you got to give it that first episode, that pilot. If it's a comedy, you got to give it two. You got to let it kind of hit its stride because in that in 20, 25 minutes, you can't just unpack everything that's going to make the show good. Although I would argue that the pilot of this this show unpacks everything that's going to make the show good. Sure. I, I think that's a pretty good rule to stick to. I just started watching Superstore this week and that was probably what happened. I got two in and I was like, OK, let's watch it. I saw your tweet about it. that. Saw your tweet about yes. that. It's not lasso or anything, but it's a it's a fine show. That's good. Uh, we can <laughs> skip over our next category, uh, talking about the soccer. There's no soccer in this one except for Ted no lining soccer. everybody up and saying hi, boss. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I love it so much. It just makes me so happy how little soccer is in this show. <laughs> and like, I promise, I'm working very hard to pick a team to to love. It'll probably take me another year. I would say, because I really want to find one that's aligned with my personality. I I just, I feel like I need to know more about the structure of, I, I need to know when to jump in. Because like with college yes. football season or professional football season, like week one, here it is. This is, I feel like they're always playing different things and doing different tournaments. And I know they've talked about for the NBA incorporating the soccer model and, and having a tournament in the middle of the season or something like that. I just need to know when is, when is the start date? If you, if you, I need a linear start date. If we can, if I can get that, I can figure out who I'm going to root for and, and, and we can go. It's kind of like formula one. Once I figured out how formula one worked, I could kind of, I could get behind a few people. Sure. Yeah. That's how I am about anything really. Once I can get behind where the fan bases are, what your time frame is, what we're rooting for ultimately, like what you're shooting for, then I can get behind any sport. Thanks. Exactly. Exactly. Um, something that worked in this episode, Alex, one of the most authentic lines in this show, in this first season, when Beard asked Ted, you want to talk about it, referring to the one night stand, and Ted says, yeah, immediately. That strikes a chord with everyone who's ever had a one night stand or a sexual encounter of any kind ever, because as soon as it's over, you want to talk about it with somebody. Yes. Even if you say you don't, you're a liar. Like you do. Yeah, you you want to break it down. Yeah. You don't. You just want to analyze it. And you want to. In his case, he wasn't trying to figure out if she was into him. Like to me, that's at least on from my perspective, that's the conversation I want to have after something like that is. Let me grab my girlfriends and let me just tell you all about what happened and let's see if this is actually a thing or if it's just going to end tonight. But from his case, he just wanted someone to tell him it's really okay that you did this right after signing your divorce papers. Like you're not a bad guy for having a one night stand. You haven't 
really connected with your wife in a long time and she was very pushy about <laughs> just about signing the divorce papers that weekend. Nobody could blame Ted for doing what he did. Yeah, he just wanted to sort out his emotions, be told it's okay, and, and kind of recap the night. It was a very authentic moment. There was another... I want to ask you about Jamie's Jamie's line, the, when Jamie's thing about... Is that how you get sex by not trying to get sex? It was like the one genius. It was that line. And then when he said, why would I want to be anything other than I am? And Ted saying, I don't really I don't think you realize how mentally healthy that actually is. Here's what I'm going to say with as few details as possible. because I don't know how many of my friends actually listen to this. Here's what I know. Someone that that I've had a crush on probably for a while. And we've been friends for a while, too. I had no idea for a long time if they had any feelings for me. And this is like recent. But I got asked on a date recently. And I like how I said that, like, how novel. <laughs> congrats. We'll golf, we'll golf clap that one. Good for you. Congrats on the date. Um, all I know is when I told this person about the date, suddenly their behavior totally changed. And it was like, I'm not like they didn't do a big reveal or anything. But suddenly, like, all the signs I had been looking for, all the things that would have told me, like, okay, he feels the same way, too, that I had not seen in a very, like, ever, suddenly came out because of one date. I'm just saying. Sometimes that's how it works. <laughs> it's like you get the thing you want by living your life like you don't want the thing you want. And young Jamie Tart uh, figures that out to his benefit and not to Roy's benefit. Yes, Exactly. Um, we already went over what you said didn't work again. Another another dynamite media thing. My only the only thing I had that didn't work, um, and, and we kind of we kind of talked that over. I I was surprised that Rebecca is still on the plan of fucking over the team. But my my wife pointed out the same thing you did, and that it's more about the hatred of Rupert. It is not yeah. a direct. It's not a direct shot at at Ted. This is more about because at first it was. She was actively rooting against Ted, and now she is she is Team Ted, but she is more so fuck Rupert. Exactly. And that's, you know, we see that a lot. And again, it's the point I made about Roy, how he, at no point did he say, I don't care what happened with Jamie last night. All he said was, I like you more than I hate him. And I think that's the big point, you know? Like, it's funny, because on Twitter, especially, just being involved in sports media, What's funny about that is when you think about people who get into sports media, it's usually because they have grown up liking sports, having their own teams. You don't have someone who's not a sports fan suddenly say, hey, you know what? I think I'll cover sports. But they also can get crucified for that. Like, oh, you're into this one team. Well, then we can't possibly trust that you're unbiased and all that bullshit. Um, And for me, it's like people try to come after me and I'm like, have I ever shit talked your team? Have I ever said anything to you? And it's like, I love my teams more than I hate yours. And that's just how I feel about it. It's like, yeah, I understand what a rivalry is. I understand how all that works. My main thing is like, I support my teams. I don't trash talk others. And I'm, I'm content with that. Like I'm, I'm okay with that. And I think that's a good way to live. I think so too. I I think that's the the right way to go about uh, rooting for sports. Alex, we said earlier that we would never try to rank these episodes, that they're all, you know, <laughs> they're all they're all like our children. We love them all equally. I will ask you a tough question. Is this the best Ted? Is Ted the most perfect in this episode? <sighs> is Ted the he's most the great. Perfect? He's the great one night stand partner. 
Um, in unison with the Diamond Dogs taking down the double standard of past relationships that men carry. Another another feminist triumph for Ted. Uh, the the milk the milk puns. The oh did they oh no did they expire <laughs> milk pun. I and know. The, and then working up the high boss for Rebecca, and then an incredible monologue, stunningly good monologue. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life, and for years I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, "Be curious, not judgmental." I like that. So I get back in my car and I'm driving to work and all of a sudden it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out and so they judged everything and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. <sighs> Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions, you know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to I was 16 when he passed away. Barbecue sauce. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is the best that Ted is. I think this is the best Jason Sudeikis does throughout the entire series. And he's incredible. And by the way, side note, I don't think I mentioned this last time, but if you haven't watched the movie Tumble Down, I think it's on Amazon Prime. I watched it last week. Jason Sudeikis, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. It'll make you cry a lot if you're a crier during movies. But Jason Sudeikis is a serious actor. Like, he can do this. And I think a lot of people came into this thinking, you know, he's the SNL guy. He's the guy who was in the Mumford & Sons video. He's the horrible bosses guy, right? So we're so used to just having him give us a one-liner and a joke. Um, he's so good at this. And I think the awards he won this past season, I mean, this is the episode, this is the clip we usually saw was him with the dart scene because it was just so well done. And yeah, so I that's fair. I will say this is the best as far as Ted that we've seen all season. And the best moment, like the, the best Ted moment, while I, I would give, I commend the, you know, taking down the double standard past relationships. It's that, it's that monologue, it's barbecue sauce and hitting that shot. It's, it's fantastic. Um, and spoiler alert, I mean, that's obviously, it's my big chill moment too. Yeah. And I don't even say spoiler alert, because if you're, li if you're listening to this and not watching the show, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you should be spending the time watching the show and then you can listen to us. But yeah, so he's got to hit this. He's he's hit the two. What is it? The triple 20s. I don't know. Darts. Um, and he's got to hit this bullseye to beat Rupert. And he's so calm and so cool about it. And we remember a few episodes earlier when he's giving Rebecca the biscuits and he gets the care package from his son. And he gets the barbecue sauce and he says, you know, those things that just make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside and they just take you right back home. And she looks at the biscuits and he's tasting the barbecue sauce. So he's channeling something that makes him feel completely comfortable. And right before he hits the bullseye, he says barbecue sauce and he throws it. And I just, God, I cry every time <laughs> because we all have that one thing, whatever it is, that if we can channel it and if we can, you know, 
invest in it, if we can feel it in an important moment, then it can actually get us through. I mean, I, I don't want to get too emotional here. Never. But <laughs> when the this job, show, no, never. <laughs> this show, no. We're not, getting, we're not getting emotional. The job that I start next week for USA Today, um, when I was going through the interviews for that, I had a post-it note during all my Zoom interviews with, and I'm not going to say what it is because it sounds silly and it takes forever to explain, but I had a post-it note with something my dad used to tell me. Um, my dad passed away years ago, but it was a post-it note, which is something he used to tell me to kind of rev me up. And I kept it stuck to my laptop during all of these Zoom meetings because being able to glance at that kept me in that mindset of like people believing in you, of that feeling of home, of something that I knew could calm me down in a moment of crisis. If there was a question that I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't answer or something. Um, and I kept that stuck to my laptop during all of those interviews, which there were, I think, five total. And so now I've held on to the post-it note because it's very meaningful to me because it kind of helped me through all of that. I think it's the same idea. You know, Ted taps into something that makes him feel immediately at home. It makes him feel safe. It makes him feel comfortable. It makes him feel like he can get it done if he just focuses on the good. And barbecue sauce, it's perfect. If you make me cry on this episode, <laughs> I'm going to be so mad. I'm, come on. We've that is cried. your job. That is not my job. <laughs> I know. Am I the crier? Is that why you brought me on here? I, I need, yeah, I needed it because it's not going to be me. Alex, we got to shift gears. We did miss a category. Who is your Lenny Harris for this for this one? I'm going to say Keely. That is mine too. <laughs> that is, it is it, the press conference scene. She she is just oh, chewing God. up the screen. She owns it. It is such a good Keely. It's a good like. It's a good Nate episode, you know, between the bus and and how he is. The the line you said about must be wonderful. Uh, it's a good, got a ton <laughs> of funny Roy lines, but Keely rocks this one. Absolutely, and she Juno Temple is just so good anyway. But what I've loved about Keely is she has just maintained again like the feminist triumph idea throughout this, like last episode or the one before. Um, I can't remember where she. I guess it was the one before where she tells Roy like you know, my life with Jamie is none of your business. And do I need to consult you every time I have <laughs> something I need to do? She maintains it for this. Like, she's not going to be made a fool, you know, because of Roy. And she's very, she's not defensive. She's just smart about it. She's guarded. She's saying, like, I really like you, but if you're not going to reciprocate that, I'm not going to put up with it. And then you just have this very endearing scene where she's playing the journalists in the press conference. And, you know, she's cute as she can be, but I think she just really... Really had an outstanding performance in this one. She absolutely, she crushes it. Um, so, one to five biscuits. Tough. It's tough. Twelve. Twelve. Twelve might be low. Sixteen. <laughs> Let's go to sixteen. I don't, I have no idea, again, what I've given the last episodes. I, I really would love to see the average. I oh yeah that's actually that's something we should do. I will go back and check before we before we record the finale and see what we've actually in our ridiculous biscuit counting what we've what we've actually given the episodes what the average is which episode has gotten the most ridiculous amount of biscuits and we can kind of go from there. Okay, I'm down with that. Alex, we've got two episodes left. AFC Richmond's facing relegation. Roy and Keeley are together. Rebecca's the j- the jig is up. I know. Rebecca's got to own up to what she's done. Like, she can't, she can't get away with it anymore. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder. 
I truly, <laughs> I truly wonder. Alex, tell the folks again where they can follow you, where they can check out your other podcast. Sure. So first of all, please follow For the Win on Twitter. Um, it's USA Today's sports site, and I will be um, taking over that site next week as managing editor, and it will be so much fun, and they have such a great team. I just can't wait to be a part of it. Um, I'm also on an RPG podcast called Ain't Slayed Nobody. You can follow us at Ain't Slayed on Twitter and everywhere else. And if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, the Ted Lasso rewatch, remember, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't yet, go back, listen to all the other episodes. And if you like sports movies, go listen to all the evergreen sports movies on this feed. If you're enjoying the rewatch, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review. If you're a baseball fan, check out From Phenom to the Farm. That's presented by Baseball America. It comes at you every other Tuesday. Last week had a great episode on nightmare bus rides in the minor leagues. Next week, going to have a great guest. I don't know exactly who it's going to be yet, but I can guarantee they'll be great. And for me and Alex, for the Ted Lasso Rewatch, we'll see you next week with Episode 9. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.